Good morning, Eastern Oregon, and welcome to this November 7th version of AM Live on EOA, your connection to Eastern Oregon and on the EOA network. Glad you're here with us today. That one was smooth. <laughs> well, ever Every once in a while, it, it just it just yeah, rolls, it, yeah. It was, a good, it was a smooth one. Yeah. Smooth, smooth. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I don't like this weather. Oh, what's that? You Man, know, both you guys. I know. Jeez. Wow. First time on TV. Yeah. You don't like what you say? I don't like the weather. Oh. You know that. Really? <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I hate it. It's cold. You don't want to get out of bed. Like, and I know the snow's coming soon. It's the drizzly stuff that is irritating. See, I would rather... It It wasn't bad. I walked today still because yeah. it's not like porn. Yeah. But it, it... I'd rather this than like a foot of snow on the ground. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's coming though, man. I know. I, Unfortunately. Yeah. Everything moves inside now because everything outside's done. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, all the winter sports are in the gym. You want to talk about sports? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, AM Sports Report brought to you by Rock and Sons Tire and Auto. East end of Adams and LeGrand. If you need anything done for your vehicle, go see JB and the boys. Um, LeGrand High School cross country. Crazy story. They had the top three finishers at the state championship. The state champ, second place, third place. And somehow only got second place as a team. That's, I mean, that's unheard of. And I talked to Alma, the head coach, yesterday about it on the phone. And I was like, what? You know, how does that happen? And she said, it's just... Just the way it all fell, their their runner, you know what I mean? And right. So they ended up with a second place. CC Villa Gomez won the state title. Last year's state champion, uh, Brooke Perry, finished second. And then two years ago, state champion Emily Tubbs finished third. So you had three state champs from LeGrand all on the podium at one, two, and three the, this last Saturday. And that's, that's cool. Yeah, that's it's really cool. I wonder if they I'm gonna I'm going to interview uh, CC today, and I'm going to ask her if they did that on purpose. Because it's were. very possible that they did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they say, hey, you know, like, you won it last year. Oh, you won oh, it the I year see. before. Oh, I see. Here, we're going to give, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. I wouldn't do it myself. <laughs> because cross country is an individual sport. Yeah. It, it's team sport, but it's individual, too. Right. So, I mean, who, who knows? I'm going to ask her about it, though. You know, you women's soccer last night. Went to penalty kicks in the first round of the CCC tournament and won against OIT 4-3 on penalty kicks. Crazy, man. They play tomorrow night at 7 in the semifinals against Northwest. And, I mean, they got a chance to make the national tournament, especially if they can win this game tomorrow night. ELU football dropped their final home game of the year last this last Saturday against Southern 41-24. It was senior day. They honored, I think, like 12 seniors. And in honor of the seniors, uh, tomorrow on the sports show, I'm going to have senior Josh Mendoza and senior Carson Brown. And that'll be good because they're both multi-year starters. One's a defensive player, one's an offensive player. So you'll get to kind of like see, you know, what, what it's like to be at the end of your football career. You know, like it's it's got to be hard. They've both been here for five years because of COVID. Uh-huh. And they're both five-year players. And this is this has been their life for five years. And now all of a sudden it's, Time to grow up and, you know, like... Moving on, yeah. Go to the real world, right? EOU Volleyball won both their games this weekend. They clinched the CCC regular season title. They'll host the CCC tournament, which means 
They'll have a game this Friday at 7.30 in Quinn. We don't know who they're playing yet because the first round of that tournament takes place at the sites of the teams that are the highest ranked. So basically you just move directly into the semifinals on Friday. So if EOU wins on Friday, they play Saturday for the CCC Tournament Championship. By them winning the CCC regular season tournament, they got an automatic bid to the national tournament. So they're in. Polls come out tomorrow. I would imagine we're going to sit right at number three, which is fine. Um, it's actually a really good spot. I like it better than where we were going into the national tournament last year, which was number one. Uh -huh. I, I don't, I'm not a fan of being number one. Um, it just feels like there's extra pressure that, that's not needed. EOU men's and women's wrestling kicked off their season this weekend at home. The women beat Evergreen State on Friday night in the duel, and the men beat Corbin and Evergreen. They had double duel on Friday night. Um, today on the sports show, we're going to look into their season. Here's a little, uh, here's a little clip of that. Um, key returners. Who do we got? Uh, key returners. You know, we've got, uh, of course, Hunter Sparks, our first national finalist. He'll be returning number at 125. Number two in the national tournament last year. Yep. So he's coming in preseason ranked number one. Yep. Um, our next highest returner coming in for preseason rankings is Braden Carson. And so, you know, as a sophomore coming, he was one round away. He was a blood round kid last year, one round from All-American. But coming in with the number six ranking this year, preseason. That's solid. Yeah. Um, we've also got uh, Kyle Knudsen. Kyle Knudsen, he's a returning All-American for us. Last year, fell a little bit short of his goals right. and became a, a two-time All-American last year. So he's a little short there. But, you know, he's coming. He put in a lot of work this summer. And so I'm excited to see what Kyle throws out on the mat. So those are our, our big three. Yeah. Um, but also we've got... Uh, couple other returners with Jackson Moreland. Jackson's a two-time uh, national qualifier. He was a blood round kid as well. And so he's coming in ranked, uh, I believe, 20th right now. That's not bad. Not bad. Um, and we sit at, what, 17, I think you said? 17, yeah. Um, in the toughest conference in in the nation. I mean, I don't even think it's arguable. There's We have six teams in the CCC in the top 25. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so I, th I think we're kind of like the, uh, you know, the Big Ten of NAI when it comes down to wrestling. What, what's your goals for this year? What do you want? Well, it's the same goal as the last three years. It hasn't changed. I'm going to be a national champ. Yeah. You know, that's cream of the crop right there. That's what I want. That's so what I'm going to go get. your goal, right? I mean, a couple of years ago, I was two points shy of it. Yeah. One match. Like, if I finished that match, I'd probably, probably be a national champ right now. So we, I had you on last year, right? Right before the national championship. Uh, I think it was before. Because, it was before. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know that you you would end up being second place in the country. Um, let's talk about that first. Let's talk about that match. Like what, what was going through your head? Um, I was just glad to be there. Uh, definitely, losing wasn't my goal. Of course but not. Making it there was. A huge step just in my career like that was something I'd been working with Azure the whole time I was really excited to be there and my mindset going into it is just you know let it fly have fun and it didn't work out the way I wanted uh, I wrestled a kid he's actually a good friend of mine I was teammates with him the year prior um, and so we wrestle each other every day he's he's a stud he's a two-time national champion and he he got the best of me. A yeah. little, little bit of riding time made the, made the difference, difference in the match. And but you ever beat him before? 
we we go back and forth in the room all the time. I mean, he beat me, I beat him. It was just a battle every day. But so it was like a coin flip, basically. It, it could be, yeah. yeah. Some days it it was tough. Some days, you know, I was winning all the time, but it made me better. And so that made it a little more difficult, though, because we knew each other's style. We knew exactly what we were getting into, and yeah, just who could capitalize at a certain point was the deciding factor. Yeah, so that that right there, that was Hunter Sparks. He's the number one wrestler in the nation in the NAI at, at 125. He was second place in the country last year. He lost in the national championship, which was a heartbreaker because he lost, like he said in the interview, on riding time. So if you go, if you in the NAI, well, in college wrestling, if you're if you're you get points based on riding time, and so he. It wasn't necessarily a move or a takedown or something. It was just the fact that he, the dude was on top of him more than he was on top of the Got dude. Got it. Okay. Which, which is a heartbreaker. And, and I really think that he's going to be EOU's first national champion this year. Wow. Yeah, I really do. I mean, there's nothing that, as long as he stays healthy, that he, he he's, he's the dude at 125. He wow. really is. I mean, there's nobody that's, I don't even think he's going to get challenged until well into the national tournament. Huh. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, AM Sports Report brought to you by Rockin' Sons Tire and Auto. Like I said, if you need anything for your vehicle, they're down on the east end of Adams. Go see JB and the boys. All righty. Cool. Hey, let's take a look outside. It's like you said, it's like rainy and drizzly. Just is what it is. What is that? Some city workers eating some donuts? <laughs> Looks like they're working. They're working on a light out there. That must not be ODOT. <laughs> well, it might. Yeah, I mean, well, if they're working on a light, it probably is ODOT because Adams Avenue is ODOT. If it was ODOT, right? they'd be sitting in their car. <laughs> <laughs> we used to make this joke out uh, going towards the coast from Salem. Uh huh. You got Highway 20 on one side, like over on the on the. Uh, Corvallis side, uh -huh. and then you have uh, 22 on the on the Salem side, right? Yeah. And man, the the, the ODOT guys they used to love to to just pull off on that highway, just hang for, out for yeah. And you'd think like like how many lunches do you get a day, dude? Like what are you guys doing out here? <laughs> yeah, so we always made jokes. My buddy was a Benton County uh, sheriff, and we used to go fishing, and we'd take Highway 20. Uh -huh. to go to the to the ocean and <laughs> we'd just be like he's like oh kyle they sit there every day they're there <laughs> every day <laughs> yeah i try and not be too critical but you always wonder when you see like five people six people standing around and there's two people working, working. Yeah. yeah 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 too many yeah. chiefs not enough Indians. yeah i don't yeah so all right well here here's so up to 45 today it looks like it's gonna rain all day oh yippee clear up a little bit tomorrow but we're that's just kind of the weather that we're in right now yep yep so it teased us a little bit of what yesterday or the day before it was like 54. yeah i mean there was a brief little window yesterday afternoon when it was, it was nice yeah. yeah when it was like real pretty i don't think we're gonna see nice weather no. for a while though and I, I, you know what the other thing i hate too what's that these damn clocks changing I'm I'm sick of that. Yeah, you're not the only one. It's they're, ridiculous. Like I don't want to be. I don't want it to be dark at five o'clock. They're like trying to do a act of Congress in order to get that change. Why not? Yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah. I don't need that extra hour of light in the morning. Like who who gets up at six thirty anyways? 
Yeah, working. Well, I do on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> but like right like any other day, you know what I mean? I'd much rather have that hour in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan. I, I don't want to it, it it like it's almost like the crappy weather plus the dark at like five o'clock makes depression start earlier in yeah. the evening. See, I'm I'm feeling the oldness coming on because even on weekends for me to sleep in till eight o'clock, it's like that's hard to do. I just don't sleep good. Uh-huh. So my sleep is intermittent. So it doesn't matter. Like there'll be some days where I'll get home from work and I'll fall asleep and I'll wake up till like nine o'clock at night. Yeah. And then be up till three o'clock in the morning. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's not good. It's just what it is. But it's just it is what it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's my like I don't I don't want to get I I want, I want light. Like yeah. I'm not a fan of it. I hope they do pass that in Congress, actually. <sighs> yeah. It's it'll be, it'll be good. But you know how I mean when they say like it takes an act of Congress, that's like it's true. It's like it's Americans, we're we 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 are so stuck in our ways. Like we should have switched to the metric system a long time ago. A long time ago. Well, we tried. But no, we we ain't. we we yeah. still use this other system, and so you have to have metric tools and standard yeah. tools. And it's like the whole world uses metric except for us. Yeah. Like, come on, we don't have to be the cool kids at school. Yeah. I I mean I don't know. Well, I don't know. Was it? Did you have, did they, were they pushing metrics when you were in school? Uh, I didn't see, see, game. Ken is going to be here on with me in a minute. Man, that was a big, that was a big push in the 80s, late 70s, 80s was. I wasn't even born. I was born in the Yeah, late that 70s. was, yeah, I know. You were born the year that I graduated, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. so probably, were, I probably wasn't Yeah, so I, I mean, I actually have a, a good understanding of, you know, the conversion of centimeters to an inch and so on and so forth by. Yeah. Todd Gorham says, I don't like it dark at 7 a.m. I didn't even know you could tell. You're a ref. You're blind. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know if it's dark or not? Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Yeah. I heard a, a fan not too long ago who was unhappy stood up and said, ref, you're missing a really good game. Yeah. yeah. Happens all the time. There, there was a minor league baseball player, organ player, you yeah. know, the organ player in the stadium. Yeah. That got kicked out of the game for playing three blind mice. Women. <laughs> I would. We've talked about that a ton. I would hate oh, to be a ref because it. it's like. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, it's there's, terrible, there's, man. There's no. There's no. Th- the only thanks that refs get is from people like me, taking great pictures of them yeah. and sending them to them. Right, Todd? Yeah. Did you see? So a couple of weeks ago, um, Geno Smith from Seattle. Seattle yeah. yeah he was debating with the ref. It was an intentional grounding call and he didn't like the intentional grounding call. And so the ref is right in the middle. He had switched on his microphone and Geno Smith is coming up and talking to him. And he goes, Oh yeah. He, he goes, goes, I'm talking to America right me. now. Yeah. I'm talking to America right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. It was, a, it was, a I hilarious. just saw that last night actually on a clip. Yeah. That, that yeah. guy did similar, something similar last yeah. night in the game. Cause he was the ref in the yeah. uh, Chargers Jets game. Last yeah. Night. He's got kind of a, I mean, he's got a reputation for, Doing what Todd says, doing. nice picture. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, that was a good picture. I try to get pictures of the coaches and the refs too, just because they're, I mean, as a ref, you're supposed to not be noticed, right? That, you right. know you're doing a good job if nobody talks about you. Yeah. But I still think, uh, it, especially where we're at, in, in especially in Oregon, with how the refs have been mistreated and just people don't want to do it anymore, and, and we got to lift them up, you know, like that's part of, they're doing a tough job, thankless job. And, 
and they're appreciated. Well, and Todd does a great job, dude. And they're like, short on refs. Yeah, dude. because they're right. treated like crap. Yep. So parents don't, and it's ninety percent parents. It really, is. parents are just ruthless, man. That's yeah. why. I, that's why I don't coach. I, I used to coach. I used to love coach, and I got I moved away from it because I just don't. I, I don't like parents. You know, I don't. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to hear you tell me why you're kids should be playing or why somebody shouldn't be playing when you're not out there volunteering to do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of, yeah, parents, parents when their kids are playing is a little bit like social media commenting. People say things on social media that yeah. they would never say. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Hey, it is veterans day this weekend. And actually I think it's this Friday and veterans day, I think is Saturday. The Veterans Day Parade is is on Friday, and our local veteran, Ken Johnson, is going to be joining us here on the set in just a minute. We'll be right back. All right, we're back with Ken Johnson. He is a veteran, lives here in Legrand. You've been here 30 years. Is that was 30 you years. Me? Yeah. So, well, cool. Well, hey, thanks for jumping in with us this morning. Oh, not a problem. Yeah, we looked at our schedule. We wanted to do something for Veterans Day, and we were trying to put together a guest for tomorrow. And 
And so it just kind of, it fit in really well. And so I just reached out to Bob Keenan and said, Hey, do you have anybody who could, who could jump in? So yeah, we really appreciate you jumping in. So I do my best. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, let's start with the veteran part of you. Okay. So when, when did you serve and kind of tell us about that experience, will you? Well, I uh, joined the military in 1980. Okay. Uh, started off as a nuclear engineer. Oh, wow. So that was my first job out of high school was being a running a nuclear reactor. Wow. Like on a, on a vessel or submarine. One? Okay. Yeah. Um, ended up hurting my knee, got out of that. Cause although being a nuclear engineer, the training is the most unbelievable training you'll ever have in the world. I mean, two years to go from a high school kid to a couple master's degrees yeah. in six months. Right. That's crazy. Um, is just unbelievable on an intellectual level, Yeah, but it's the most boring job on the planet. Oh, cause you're just like, if you want to try it, sit in front of your refrigerator for 12 hours <laughs> and write down when it turns on and turns off. Yeah. And that you just did a nuclear watch. Yeah. As long as everything goes right, which right. it does exactly all the time. Hopefully, um, right. So I got out of that, uh, went through NAS Alameda. I was in charge of the FM division for the base. Okay. Um, from there, I ended up uh, on USS Shasta as a field cryptographic engineer for the battle group. And from there, I ended up Navy Snoopy team and a few other things. Wow. Now, what's a Navy Snoopy team? Uh, Navy Snoopy team is when various government agencies see things they don't understand because we didn't have good satellites back then and stuff. Okay. They'll send a team in to take some pictures or look and see what's going on. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, each ship has its own Snoopy team. That if, say, a Russian trawler comes by or whatever, they'll deploy the Snoopy team to take pictures, analyze what the ship has as far as spying capabilities, things like that. Okay. So it's kind of funny. A lot of people think that the uh, military, when they're just out there, just floating around the ocean, there's still a lot going on. Right. And a lot of it's on an, you know, an international level in the micro world. Right. <laughs> now, when you were a nuclear engineer... Were you in a submarine? I would have, I would presume. Yeah, I, I um, was TAD to USS Sea Devil. Okay. Which is a fast attack submarine. Okay. And so then how was that? How was serving in such a contained space? And then later on you were, I mean, did that drive you crazy at times? Was Not really. It, you're kept busy enough. Yeah. That, you know, the world is your job. You focus on it. And it's just, you get, just like we were talking earlier here with yeah. You too. Yeah. You just get in a rhythm. Yeah. And so, but is there like, how long are you, how often do you see daylight? Maybe that's the way to. Urge. Well, for an attack submarine, it varies. Yeah. It goes from short time, short periods to long times following doing reconnaissance missions yeah. under enemy aircraft, enemy ships or whatever. Then you have the Navy's boomer fleet, which you'll go down and come up. 60 to 90 days later. Oh, wow. And so you might leave Connecticut and you'll do a patrol under the ocean with ballistic missiles waiting for orders if, and hoping they never come. Hmm. And then you'll rise in Scotland, in Hoyle, Scotland. You'll turn the sub, whole submarine over. The whole crew leaves. New crew comes on the submarine and then does the exact opposite trip yeah. and comes back up in Connecticut. Wow. But there had to have been, was there some of those experiences like when it's like when you finally had fresh air that was like, 
I mean, I, I can't imagine that experience. Well, the air on the submarine is cleaner than the air you're breathing okay. here. Okay, yeah. Much breathing. But much I mean, stuff. like, you know what I mean. But I mean, you you have, you feel the wind or you feel something that you don't. Yeah, there, yeah. there's obviously, you know, yeah. a, okay, it's an, you know, it's experience. But it's no different than what you were talking about earlier. Winter's coming on. Right, yeah. It's like, just like that, all of a sudden you got that one sunny day that comes out. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then periodically, if you if there was not much going on or something, they could call for steel deck. Uh-huh. And steel deck would be um, basically it's kind of like a day off, and they barbecue on the top of the ship, oh, okay. or yeah. a surface ship on the back of the fantail. Yeah, you know, and we call it steel beach. Oh, interesting. Makes that, sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's out in the middle of BFE in the ocean, <laughs> yeah, cooking up a, a ribeye yeah, on the top on, of on the... USS Shasta. We did um, steel beach all the time in the Persian Gulf. Wow, that'd be we'd, fun. We'd, us, the divers would go down and we'd collect lobsters and stuff from the bottom of the ocean, bring them up, and everybody'd have lobster lunch. And Fresh seafood right then. Right, right then. Wow, that's that's kind of cool. So, of your experiences when you were, because you served for eight years, is that eight right? Eight years. Yeah, I mean, what are some of the highlights that you are that that well, you kind of go back to in your mind? Well, there's highlights and there's lowlights. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, highlights obviously would be. You know, like um, going on safari in Africa. Right. You know, I went up to Tassavo. Um, at one point, we had a cheetah come under the van, and then it took off, and we watched it take down a gazelle, and then it started chirping. And we're like, what in the world is that chirping? And then we see these kittens come out. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. And we watched the kittens come out, and the mom teach them how to, you know, practice taking this gazelle down and things. Yeah. And so those things, you know, the big thing you miss when you get out is you don't miss the the military and everything that goes along with it. You miss that you know where you fit in exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, this guy's got your back and you got that guy's back. There's yeah. a camaraderie that veterans, they have a big problem with it when they lose it. That's one of the reasons we have so many problems with mental health issues with veterans. Yeah. As they go from a very structured environment where they know where they fit in exactly right to a place that they don't know where they fit in right. i've heard that being likened to being in prison it's very similar like the people that come out of prison after they've been in for a long time they have this structure like they're they know exactly what they're doing every day there's a hierarchy and then all of a sudden they're out in the real world and it's very similar to the military like you have the hierarchy you have the structure and then all of a sudden you're like, what am I supposed to do? Like, Well, exactly. Or just like you, you with the sports here. You know, what happens when I, I was talking to a, a kind of a famous football player a long time ago, um, a guy named Joe Montana. You probably know him yeah. or heard of him at least. <laughs> he knows who he is. You might not. He How would I not know who he is? <laughs> I'm, not that, I'm not that young. <laughs> well, I, you know, we were talking and he made a comment. He says, how do you go back to being human? Right. It's even on on every level of athletics. Like these kids that I'm bringing in today for my uh, their seniors, their fifth year seniors at EOU right. because of COVID. That's what we're going to talk about today. Is like, dude, what now? Like yeah. you, your life for the last fourteen years has been football, right? And right. now all of a sudden you have to you got to make right. that right turn and figure out what you're going to do. And and a lot of people struggle with that, man. So it's 
It's very similar for military. I saw right. my grandpa go through it, but my grandpa, thankfully, jumped straight into, uh, he became a warden in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, right. which is very similar. Their right. structure, you know what I mean? So it kind of saved him. But but then when he retired, you saw it come right back. Grandpa's like lost. Like, what do I do? You know what I mean? Like, And, and it was it was very prevalent. Well, one of the, in the Navy, one of the major um, problems is problems with marriage, obviously. Um, what happens is you have a, a man who will deploy, and in the Navy, it's very reoccurring and uh, common for them to deploy six to nine months at a time uh -huh. in, in a two-year rotation. So they'll be gone for nine months, home for a week, out for two, back, maybe out for three, back for a week. And so when the man is gone, his wife fills his roles. Sure. Yep. She's now the dad. She's everything. And then he comes back. He wants his job back. Right. He wants his role. And she's like, wait a minute. I've been doing this. Right. right. And so he doesn't have a place to fit in. So that feeds into that mental uh, health -ish area of the veteran. Yeah. Wow. So you were in, you said 80 to 88. Right. Which in, in the civilian time, that was kind of a, a little bit of a, there weren't any real active wars, but there was still a lot of conflict going on. Well, the Cold War. That, well, right. The people in, I mean, let's talk about that. Because because what I want to talk about is that the veterans serve all the time, you know, right. and, and we, and we might not know, uh, we don't, we don't know a lot of what goes on. So talk about that a little well, bit. Well, they, yeah. they don't, uh, and the, and the country doesn't, and a lot of times for good reason. Yeah. Um, for people to know puts people in his way. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, the old saying, you loose lips sink ships. Yeah. Um, but people forget, you know, we just passed a, a, a Marine milestone. I don't know if you know, um, of the bombing of the Beirut barracks. Okay. People forget about that regularly. When did, did that happen? 1983. I was going to say, yeah, in the middle of that. O October yeah. of 83. And that and was, kind of, was just the 40 year. Yeah. And that was, and, uh, you know, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. and the Marines were there in Beirut. Yeah. On a peacekeeping mission. And in the center of town at the, at the uh, embassy there and stuff. And a bomber drove a, a truck full of explosives into the barracks, mm -hmm. killed almost all the Marines here. Wow. Um, we do have one of those Marines that still lives in Union County. I won't give out the name because I don't want to embarrass him. Yeah. But he happened to survive it. Oh, wow. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. And we forget that all the hundreds of Marines died in one day there. Right. You know, and the outrage and stuff in, you know, when, you know, in May of, uh, I think it was 85, you know, I was there and Iran was doing a bunch of stuff. They were mining the Persian Gulf and stuff and we were clearing the mines and stuff. And we ended up taking out the cargo oil platforms. Huh. And people forget about that. Right. They, they think the 80s were just time of peace. <laughs> so well, just for clarification, 241 military personnel 
220 Marines, 18 sailors died, died on that day. And, and, and that was, and Ben Laden, that was one of his beginning. Wasn't that one of his beginning things that he was involved in? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah the, one of the masterminds. In right. That thing. Yeah. And uh, then later on, I remember in uh, 1987, people think about, well, you know, the Persian Gulf and stuff, you know, nothing happens to us. Right. But they forget Saddam Hussein's troops put two extra-set missiles on the side of the USS Stark. Yeah. Yep. And so even when you're on those ships and you're out there, you're always on high alert because you don't know when that's going to come. Yeah. Well, and I think that what civilians miss is the value that having a force ready to act at any time and at times to be easy targets for crazy folks. Um, well, yeah, that the, the value that has in, in our stability of life here at home, we, we don't, we miss that. We don't understand that. Yeah. And that's the thing. People don't see it. I think personally, I think every, uh, person in America that thinks that United States isn't the greatest place to live. Yeah. Ought to spend at least say six months living in Somalia. <laughs> you go over to Somalia, you're going to come home with a whole different reverence right. to this country, right? Or any third world country. Yeah. Well, in Somalia in particular, there is no law. There's what do they call that when there's it's tribal. Tri yeah, it's total lawlessness. There right. is no central government, no central law enforcement. Yeah. Well, when we were there, we were trying to keep the central government yeah. at the time, but it didn't kind of work out. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were back. I was there, what, 87. Yeah. Wow. So let's 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 go back just a little bit, because okay. one of one of the other interesting parts of your life is that you've been involved in karate for a long time. Right. Fifty five years. Yeah. So so. Go back to the beginning. Where were you born? And then talk, talk to us about how you got involved in karate and so on and so forth. Uh, born, you know, in, in uh, Ranch Cordova, California. Um, I took and grew up there on the American River having a great time. One of my instructors, or my first instructor, Frank Waller, returned from Korea. He was in the Air Force, uh, Sergeant Waller. And he opened the Tank Sudo Mudokwan School. So I trained in that uh, for a lot of years until high school sports got in the way. And after I joined the military, I went back to martial arts and trained in various martial arts around the world from fighting in Thailand, you know, Muay Thai, going to a temple in Hong Kong, uh, Shaolin Temple there, went on and couldn't figure out exactly where I fit in the martial arts world. Because every place I went, I did some things that I had learned in another art. And they would say, well, we don't do that because mm -hmm. it's not traditional. Yeah, It's not our tradition. And I found in the early 80s, I found Kaju Kembo under my instructor there, Professor uh, Stuart Rowe. And they didn't say, don't do that. They said, we've never seen that. Uh -huh. Teach us. Huh. And so I was at the, what was it, San Francisco Karate Championships, and I hit a guy named Max Tagasala with a really big Muay Thai roundhouse kick, and he'd never seen a kick like that close and everything. And so here's the founder of Kaja Kembo, the, the Grand Puba, 
And he calls me over and makes me teach all these masters this kick throughout the day. Hmm. Even though I was just a lonely little purple belt <laughs> in Kajakembo. And I said, okay, I can deal with these people. Yeah. These people are always about teaching people how to protect themselves, period. Yeah. Not tied to absolute tradition. Nobody's going to die because they didn't learn something because of tradition. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. Um, got out of the military in 88, went to work for Raytheon Corporation, where I was in charge of maintenance for the collision avoidance system and satellite communication networks for most of the major shipping fleets in the world. Okay. And so I flew around the world fixing those and making sure they do it. Really high pressure job. And then the uh, US, then the Valdez happened. Okay. Everybody might remember the Valdez. Yeah. And I happened to have been on her about two weeks before. Oh, wow. Okay. Fixing the radar system. So for two weeks, I had to sit there and think, did I do anything <laughs> wrong? Because if it came down on me, that was my fault. Right. Yeah. It would have been not good. And so for people, but the Valdez was a tanker that grounded off the shore of Alaska somewhere. In Prince right? William Sound. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so I just decided that stress wasn't the biggest deal. Yeah. And the final straw pretty much came. Uh, I took and I was going to be home for the first time on the same continent with my wife since we'd been together. Hmm. And so she was all happy about that. And then she went to work and I got a call that I had to fly to the Bahamas. So she calls down there and stuff. And so to make a long story short, she spent that anniversary with our kids and I spent it with 5,000 nurses from Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't go over well. <laughs> Figure, imagine that. Yeah. So I retired from there, spent all 1991 training for my first really big fight. I was fighting locally and stuff. And I won the Shaolin Kung Fu World Championship and got real depressed because i had pretty much achieved every goal i'd ever set for myself in my life right yeah and a buddy of mine adam mcintosh was up here and he was working for a log company and he says you know i'd like to have my own company and by then i had the money and everything and i said okay i'll find a company and we'll put a company together so i moved up here and we started johnson and mcintosh logging okay and we ran that for four years till the Forest Service started shutting down the woods during the Spotted Owl era. And by the time we shut down the company, I already owned the karate school. That, you know, we've been at the same location now for 30 years. Wow. Okay. And I owned my land where I live out in the woods. And I own some apartments and things like that. And so we stayed. It was a great place to raise our kids. And then a few years later, I kind of got tired of being semi-retired. So I went to work for Raytheon. I mean, um, for Raycom, communications company in the Valley. And a couple of later, years later, I just bought the company. Okay. Wow. And so I've been here ever since. Wow. That's, that's a cool story. So, yeah. uh, not much different than everybody else. Everybody else has a story, too. Right. But and, and it's awesome that you got here. I mean, there's a lot of... There's a lot of folks that have, you know, in one way or another, they've found their way to the Grand Ron Valley and they just stayed because it's a great place to live. It's a great place to raise a family. Well, the Indians didn't call it the Valley of Peace for nothing. Yeah, that's right.
So let's get back to the, the yeah. Veterans Day parade. Here. Yeah, let's say so Veterans Day is coming up. And I said that incorrectly. So the pr Veterans Day and the parade are both on Saturday. Correct. Okay. And you and I were talking a little bit last night. So why is it, why is the Veterans Day parade at 11 o'clock? Okay. Yeah. The reason it's at 11 on the 11th yeah. of November yeah. is because World War I ended. The actual ceasefire started at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Okay in 1918 all right and that was the war to end all wars right and where we now celebrate veterans day here it was called armistice day it's the day the arm stopped right yeah uh, around the world it's it's kind of a unique holiday because not only is it celebrated in america it's celebrated almost all around the world yeah but there it's called either Armistice Day or Remembrance Day. Yeah. To remember the end of World War I. Right. In 1954, they changed it from Armistice Day to Veterans Day to honor all those who had been in World War II also. Yeah. And so we, you know, we had Memorial Day. And Memorial Day is to honor and remember, kind of like Remembrance Day. Right. Those who put on the uniform, raised their hand and said they'd die for their country and didn't make it home to their families. Mm. And Veterans Day is for those that did the same, but were fortunate enough to make it home to their families. So, so, and you and I talked about this a little bit last night. So to, 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 to thank someone for their service who is living the appropriate day to do that is on Veterans Day. Correct. Okay. So, because Memorial Day is the day when you are honoring those people who gave their life. Right. In, it in would service. be more appropriate to thank or remember the families of those that, did, that gave up their parents. Good. Yeah. To protect this country so that you can have the right to protest. You can have the right to disagree with your government. Yeah. So, and I don't, I don't know that I, I mean, I think I, I know, I knew the difference between the days, but I don't know that I had ever known, I mean, heard the perspective from a veteran of the difference in their minds between those days right. and, and the significance of that. So how does it, I mean, in this era, I mean, and you've, you've kind of, you were very close to the same age, born in the same year. Yep. Um, and so we've, we've grown up with a lot of the same experiences. Correct. Uh, my dad was a veteran, you know, and so I have, I have an appreciation for that, even though I didn't serve. But, uh, but there was a, I mean, when I graduated from high school, you know, I chose to go to college. You chose to, to go into the service. Right. And so our, our paths were different and have kind of gone different ways. Um, what are some of the things, I mean, now that we've experienced this world, I mean, there are times that you, that people are anti-veteran or anti, not anti-veteran, but anti-war or, I mean. Oh, they, no, they've been anti-veteran yeah, many right. times. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I can certainly remember in the 80s having people beat on the hood of my car while I'm entering the base. Right. Um, you know, there they were protesting Tomahawk missiles. Right. Right. And Reagan's Star Wars program. Right. 
But on the same hand, you chose to defend even them. Correct. Maybe talk about that for just a minute, because that is an interesting perspective. Well, one of the important things is that we have the right to lay grievance to the government. Right. And where other countries, you see, they have to have violent overthrows of their government mm -hmm. to change things from, you know, very, very corrupt governments. They try, maybe they'll try to reinstall another government. They get another corrupt government. America, we have a very unique ability, and we were one of the first to have it, is that we have a revolution every two years in this country. And, and we, we have, have an a peaceful, election. we have right. an election. It's a yeah. peaceful revolution. Yeah. It's the time at which the people get to decide to change their government. Right. Uh, now, I know we all get frustrated with the parts that don't get elected and they're the, the bureaucracy that just builds. But even that bureaucracy can be changed if you get enough changes in the government itself. Right. And so that's why the thing that bothers me most about people in America is how little they take the responsibility of voting because people died so you could vote to have that right to change your government right and to me to not to vote is to say their sacrifice was worthless mm. so and i i get that uh i mean in the other and you kind of you kind of talked about this. There's there's also this relationship between that peaceful revolution does not involve the military, which is super different than a lot of countries. You know, correct, right? I mean, so the so the so the the military and recently a general, uh, I don't know, one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff guys, or that was was he was involved during when Trump was not re not reelected and that whole uprising and right. so on and so forth. And he just restated that he just restated what we all knew. And that is the military has no part in elections. Correct. Period. Which is very different. And people don't, they, people who have not been out of the United States, they don't understand that. I mean, there's just a presumption on our part. Well, of course they don't, but well, a lot that's of not the case. In a lot countries. of countries yeah. when the UN will call for elections. Yeah the government of the time will have a person of their military go into the voting booth with you yeah, to make sure you vote appropriately. <laughs> right yeah, That's why you see these people get 100% of the vote. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, the human condition is there's no way you're going to have 20 million people have 100% of the same thought. Yeah, yeah. What, what are some of the other things that you kind of, the other observances that you kind of reflect on in your experience, I mean, from the standpoint of, I don't think the civilian population really understands this. Oh, I look at a few, you know, I, I see more things than I do dates. Um, a few years back, I went, uh, when they were inducting me in the Hall of Fame, and so I took my, my wife and a, friend, a good friend of mine down to Philadelphia because they had never done any of that. And, of course, we went to Independence Hall and stuff like that. But right, what gets me is like right around the corner from Independence Hall, there's a, a veterans park. And there's just a small plaque that says what it is. But nobody seems to even remember it. The park was dirty and stuff. 
And that's where the veteran or the people that died from George Washington, one of his first major battles, are all buried. Hmm. And nobody cares, nobody remembers. Right. It's how quickly Americans forget. Right. Like we were talking about the Beirut uh, barracks. Yeah. You know, that's that's the largest the largest life loss of you know life of Marines outside a major battle. Right. And we just forget. Right. And those things, you know, kind of get me. I watch various shows and you watch the remembrance of them. You know, you have to be in awe of what the guys in World War II do. Me and my wife were just in Fiji not too long ago. And we were coming around a corner and I looked up and I remembered that there was a Japanese machine gun nest up there from some show I had seen years yeah. before. And I looked up that hill and I looked at how dense the jungle was and everything. And I thought, and now I'm supposed to climb that with guys on top shooting down at me. And take it out. And how many, yeah. how, I mean, what, what just sheer guts right. does that take that you want to, you're willing to do that to protect the guy next door to you? Right. And how, I mean, I, I think, you know, again, born at the same year, same right. time, you know, it takes me back to think that the end of World War II, one, one. Well, World, World War, War II two was just 20 years. Right. It was just 20 years before you and I were born, you know. Well, actually, it was only 16 years. Yeah, right. And But it started in 41. Right. We were both born in 61. Right. Know? So, so I mean, it how again, how quickly we displace ourselves. I mean, we have we have kids now that have no knowledge of 9/11. I mean, they I mean they know it, but they didn't right. experience it, you know. And so anyhow, it's it's just funny. It it's easy to forget. Well, one of the things that gets me, and I watch a lot of the news and stuff like that. And yes, I support people's right to protest and stuff like that. But what amazes me, and always has, even from the 80s, is when people were outside my base protesting and things like that, how little knowledge of the actual world they had. Yeah. They had this slanted point of view. Yeah. And how they think the war should be fought. Right. You know, the war in Israel right now, everybody's saying, well, you should do this, they should do this, they shouldn't do that, they should do this. I'm not on the ground. Right. I can't say what they should and shouldn't do. Yeah. I just, I look at it as these people have never even been to war. And if we had fought World War II the way they think we should fight war today, yeah. we would all be speaking German. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. And it's just a different, but at the same right, same thing is that's why we joined the military is so those people can do that. They can be the way. And it, it's, you know, the same as I do is how many times do you look at and you think back at things your father said to you and you say, you know, I wish I could tell him he was right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's time gives us more wisdom and more knowledge and more experience that then we can take and relive. But, you know, if we didn't have, if the youth weren't 
where they, if they had all of our experiences, they would never have any fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, I know when I was a kid, I had to learn my own lessons. Right. I had to, you know, even though I benefited from the wisdom of my father or my family, I still had to learn my own lessons. Right. I still had to, I have still had to be hit over the head with a two by four several times before it's like, oh, maybe I need to go a different direction, you know? <laughs> And, and every generation is that way. Exactly. You know, it, and so that's, yeah, we're that, that is kind of the plight of one generation to the next. And that's the thing, you know, people are getting so upset at different college kids or different people for getting, you know, so worked up over this or that. And they say, it's never been this bad. Yeah. I tell my wife this, it's always been this bad. <laughs> it's just, this is what's in front of you right now. Right. Yeah. You know, I said, you know, now it's the Palestinian thing. When I was in the military, it was Tomahawk missiles. It was Star Wars. It was Reagan was making jokes about nuclear war, and that was going to end the planet. Yeah. You know, it wasn't even that we were going to cause a war. It's that we were going to end mankind. Right. Yeah. Well, here we are 50 years later, and guess what? We still got mankind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and and the same kind of stupid jokes are still being told, and and you know i mean in a different way so it's just yeah in a just... different way and i was in the persian gulf because the different groups were fighting they're still fighting <laughs> they were fighting a thousand years ago and most likely they'll be fighting in another thousand yeah. years yeah well thank you for coming on this morning and thank you for your service thanks for giving us just a little peek inside of the mind of a veteran. And, and again, the Veterans Day Parade and Veterans Day is this Saturday. It's this Saturday. Everybody come on out. Yeah. Um, you know, let's support the veterans. And it's not just about the veterans. You're going to have a lot of local people that work from the community, different groups and everything, marching in the parade. Yeah. And come out and support them. Yeah, I remember as a as a small kid, my I still remember my first parade I was in. Really, you know, I was seven years old and I was doing karate techniques down the street. <laughs> you know, in the parade right behind the marching band. Uh, oh, very cool! And so you come out and you support it, and you're going to make memories for young kids who are in the parade, and that's going to be something they carry with them the rest of their lives. Yeah. And that's something unique to a small town is the way our parades are. Yep, because you're right there with them. Yep. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much. You want to get us out of here? Yeah. If you like parades, this is a good town to live in because we have a lot of them. We do. <laughs> we do. We have a parade for dang near everything. Yeah. Uh, on this day, uh, November 7th, 1805, Lewis and Clark Expedition first sees the Pacific Ocean at the mouth of the Columbia River. Wow. Yeah. 100 and, 118 years ago today. 1916 on this day, Jeanette Rankin is elected to Congress and it's, it's is the first woman representative out of Montana. 1976 on this day, Gone with the Wind, or most people know the movie, Gone with the Wind, it made its broadcast television debut on NBC and it was showed over two days and it earned a record 65% of all people watching TV during those two days. Wow. 
76? Sixty-five percent of the people watching TV were watching Gone with the Wind those two nights. I remember watching That's, it myself. <laughs> I, I've seen it. I've seen it probably a hundred times. Like it was my grandma's favorite movie, and I I was her caretaker when she was you know through Alzheimer's and everything, and and she had the 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 VHS and mm -hmm. we would just watch it over and over. <laughs> Made her happy, I, and so I know that movie by heart. 1991 on this day, Magic Johnson announces that he has the HIV virus and retires from the Los Angeles Lakers. And you, you it's crazy. Like around that time, you know, the, the early 90s, yeah. if somebody had HIV or AIDS, they died pretty fast, right? right? Yeah. Magic Johnson doesn't even look like he's ever had, you know what I yeah, mean? Just right. because it's crazy that money can can get you what you know what i mean like right. it's, uh, it's, well, it's not just, just money it's physical conditioning the well, way he it's raised money. himself it, it's money <laughs> it's not it has nothing to do with physical you you could take a, a top athlete two of them and this guy doesn't have the medic medication this guy does the guy who doesn't have the medication is going to die a lot faster from hiv there's no <laughs> there's no doubt about it i mean it's it, it's it, it's insane to me that people can't get the medication that they need because of money. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> 2020 on this day, Kamala Harris makes U.S. history as the first woman and the first woman of color to be elected to the vice presidency. So that was three years ago today. The number one movie in America on this day 20 years ago, Matrix Revolutions. Revelation. Revolutions. And then the quote of the day for today, Lifestyle is the art of discovering ways to live uniquely. One more time. Lifestyle is the art of discovering ways to live uniquely. Jim Rohn. All righty. That's it. Good. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, thank thank you. you for having me. Yeah. Yep. And for again, everybody, please come out for the parade. Yep. George Mendoza on Thursday. Yep. See you then. And then the parade Saturday at on 11. Saturday at 11. We'll stream that right here. Yep. Thanks a bunch. We'll see you soon.